I'm just going to pray for you if that's all right, and then we're going to hear from Lou as she finishes off our Jonah series, okay? Yeah, Lord, I thank you for Lou. I thank you for her life. I thank you for her uh, witness. I thank you for her faith. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you will pour out into her this morning. I pray, Lord God, as she opens up um, the final passages of Jonah, I pray, Lord God, that we can know you more and more, that we can know this Jesus more and more. And through Jonah, you will speak to us uh, in an amazing way. We ask that in Jesus' name. Pour out your spirit this morning uh, on Lou. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Over to you, you, Lou. <laughs> Brilliant. The first thing I want to say is a massive thank you to you all because the, since I've had my accident, I've had so much support and help and prayer, and I am really, really grateful. So thank you for being a wonderful church family. Um, having said that, I'll start with uh, the preach. Um, so we're in Jonah chapter 4, and um, the title is Will He Ever Learn? God Uses Imperfect People. And I found looking into this book really fascinating. I never realised that what seemed like a children's Bible story could actually be so inspiring. It's spoken to me about myself. Um, It's spoken to me about how encouraging this story is, actually. I didn't really see that before. I'd always seen it a bit like the story of Peter's denial of Jesus, uh, like a moral story, um, but I wouldn't behave like that. No. Um, So the first thing I want to say is that Jonah really was a prophet of God. He heard God. Um, We've heard a lot about negative things about him, really, but he was a true prophet of God. He heard from God, and he spoke the words that he heard to King Jeroboam. And what he predicted was political success, and those prophecies were fulfilled. God honoured them, despite them being the opposite of warnings that were given by other prophets. So Jonah spoke to the king about God's favour, and he encouraged him in his plans for war and for conquest. And as we've heard before... Jonah was a very proud Israelite. He was proud of his nation, and he was keen to see political security through the defeat mainly of his pagan enemies. He believed his own nation to be morally and spiritually superior and exclusively entitled to the favour of God. So we're going to read the passage, and I'm going to start actually at the end of chapter 3, and the passage will be up on the slides, hopefully. So we'll start. When God saw that they, the Ninevites, saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways he relented and did not bring on them the destruction that he had threatened but to Jonah this seemed very wrong and he became angry he prayed to the Lord isn't this what I said Lord when I was still at home this is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God slow to anger and abounding in love a God who relents from sending calamity now Lord take away my life for it's better for me to die than to live but the Lord replied is it right for you to be angry Jonah had gone out and sat down at a place east of the city, and there he made himself a shelter. He sat in its shade, and he waited to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God provided a leafy plant, and he made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind, and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die, and he said, it would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is, he said, and I'm so angry I wish I was dead. But the Lord said, you have been concerned, or you felt compassion, about this plant. Though you did not tend it or make it grow, it sprang up overnight and it died overnight. And should I not have concern or compassion 
for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals. Now, as I prepared for this talk, I googled some famous failures. Uh, people who've succeeded against the odds in their chosen fields, often after suffering many knockbacks. And one thing I noticed as I read their biographies was the emphasis on how they soldiered on and through their own effort and determination, maybe a lucky break or two, made a success of themselves. And it's a complete contrast to Jonah's story. He didn't succeed by his own effort at all. His successful mission to Nineveh that we've heard about was literally despite himself. But God uses imperfect people. He used an imperfect person, Jonah, and he still uses imperfect people like me and you today. So I want to speak about four things from Jonah chapter 4 that I felt God prompted me about. Knowing God, prayer, God's grace, and knowing yourself. So first of all, knowing God or being a friend of God. Let's look at what Jonah said at the says to God at the beginning of this passage, he says, I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. And this is a quote directly out of the Old Testament, the part where God reveals himself to Moses in the cleft of the rock. But it's being deliberately taken out of context by Jonah. He's choosing to forget part of it. Tim Keller says that Jonah reads the Bible selectively, ignoring the latter part of Exodus 34-7, which is where that bit comes from, that speaks of God not leaving the guilty unpunished. He creates a simplistic picture of God and he uses the sacred text to justify his inordinate indignation, anger and bitterness. Jonah knows the scriptures and he uses them to justify his own angry behaviour. He claims to know God, but this knowledge is more head knowledge than heart knowledge. I don't know about you, but have you ever wished that the Bible wasn't quite so clear about God's character? Jonah doesn't doubt God's nature, but he is angry with him because he's not like himself. Jonah is angry that God has relented and spared the Ninevites. And basically, he says, I told you so. I just knew you'd do something like this. Tim Keller describes this as Jonah's heart storm and a parallel to the physical supernatural storm of chapter one that we heard about at the beginning of this series. Jonah throws his knowledge back in God's face as an accusation. Typical God, so like you to be soft. He has conveniently forgotten God's sovereignty and his right to do as he pleases. He has chosen not to remember God's name, which he clearly stated in Exodus 33, verse 19 to Moses. I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. In Hebrew, the word yadar is used for knowledge of God, and it's got a special meaning. It doesn't just mean head knowledge, it means a personal relationship kind of knowledge, much more than intellectual understanding. And I'm going to read you a bit of what Jesus says in John 15, verse 15, where Jesus says, No longer do I call you slaves, for the slave does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends, for all things that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. The Bible makes it really clear that friendship with God is possible even before Jesus came. In Psalm 25, verse 14, the NIV version says, The Lord confides in those who fear him. He makes his covenant known to them. And the same verse in the American Standard says, The friendship of Jehovah is with them that fear him, and he will show them his covenant. So friendship with God is available to Jonah, 
But we can see from his reaction here that he isn't yet a friend of God, despite the fact that God has revealed himself to him and shared his plans with him. We can see God's gracious pursuit of Jonah throughout the book, in the storm, in the belly of the fish, and now in chapter 4, through the lesson of the leafy plant. God wants Jonah to recognise that his loyalty to the nation of Israel has become much more important to him than his relationship with the God of Israel. He wants Jonah to surrender his heart. And we're going to talk a little, little bit more about that later on. So the next thing I wanted to speak about, my second point, is what is prayer? A conversation or a heated argument? So, a close personal relationship is definitely what God is after with Jonah. He wants to be known in the yada sense by him. So a key element of that friendship is conversation. In any meaningful friendship, the ability to speak freely, honestly, and without censorship is vital. Whatever emotional state you find yourself in, a true friend can be counted on to listen and hopefully provide some wise counsel, although it might not be exactly what you want to hear. And in this passage, it surprised me, actually, just how freely Jonah seems to speak to God. He doesn't hold anything back. He has a pretty robust prayer life. He speaks his mind, and he clearly hears God respond, which reminded me of Job and the psalmists. Job says in chapter 7, I will not keep silent. I will speak out in the anguish of my spirit. I will complain in the bitterness of my soul. I despise my life. Let me alone. My days have no meaning. And if you want an example of a, of a really honest emotional outburst, have a look at David's in Psalm 109. We had it at Freedom in Christ a couple of weeks ago. It makes some interesting reading. So this passage in Jonah chapter 4 is a conversation between Jonah and God, and it's a frank exchange in which God probes deep into Jonah's motivations and his foundational beliefs. And Jonah tells God exactly how he's feeling. Jonah is very emotional, even irrational in his rage. I want to die because my favourite plant died seems a bit extreme. (laughs) God asks him gently, is it right for you to be angry? It's almost as if Jonah is laid on the therapist's couch. He isn't being judged, but God does ask him to examine his emotions. And the encouragement I take from this is that God can handle it when we tell him how we really feel. He's not put off by our emotional outbursts. And he's not going to blast us to smithereens for being honest with him. We can be real with God. We don't have to pretend with him. He already knows us completely. So he isn't surprised by anything we have to say. When I was going through my divorce, I remember many times when all I could do was sit and sob. I was angry, I was disappointed, I was hurt and I was confused. And there had been many prophecies about my husband and I serving God together. How could those be true now? I didn't understand. But being honest about my emotions with my Father God and knowing that he's big enough to handle it has helped me to process those feelings and to be honest with other people too. I've recently realised afresh that I'm still a work in progress on this one, but I know that God knows me intimately. He sees my heart and he is living within me by his Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 2 verses 10 and 11 tells us that we can know him in the same way. These are the things that God has revealed to us by his Spirit. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. This is yada, true friendship, when we join our hearts to God's and we become able to see as he sees. Although in chapter 1 God pursues Jonah with a violent storm, In chapter 4, he's pursuing him with gentle prompting. Is it right for you to be angry? 
And the violent storm is inside Jonah himself. He exclaims, I'm so angry, I wish I was dead. But what is prompting this heart storm? Clearly, Jonah is frustrated and angry because he doesn't approve of God's decision to spare Nineveh, as we mentioned earlier. But this reveals that he's still in the process of learning some fundamental lessons about himself and his own need of God's grace, which is what we're going to look at next. So God's grace, his pursuit of Jonah, you and me. We've heard in earlier messages that the book of Jonah is a story of God's compassion and grace. God extends grace to the Ninevites, resulting in Jonah's tantrum. But he also extends grace to Jonah. He pursues him in the storm, and then he doesn't allow him to drown when he's cast overboard. Jonah's fundamental issue is he thinks he deserves God's grace, but the Ninevites don't. He hasn't learned the lesson of his three-day fish-belly incarceration, despite his prayer in chapter 2. There's even a clue to this in verse 8 when he compares himself to those who cling to worthless idols. And Simon mentioned that when he preached a couple of weeks ago. Jack M. Sasson, who's a Bible preacher somewhere, says Jonah wants to receive God's grace without being changed by it and at the same time to snatch it away from those whose lives are in fact changed by it. We've seen that the Ninevites and the pagan sailors both repent as a result of what he says to them. Although he chooses to do as God has commanded and go to Nineveh, Jonah's behaviour there, the very brief message and no explanation, and then his decision to sit outside the city and watch to see what would happen, clearly hoping God would strike the city down anyway, shows he hasn't really changed his attitude at all. So God, in his grace, continues to pursue Jonah, and this time more subtly, gently exposing the attitude of his heart. Chapter 4 repeatedly says that God provided the circumstances which Jonah found so challenging, in his grace, God was giving, using physical situations to expose Jonah's secret heart. Revelation 3, verses 19 and 20 says, Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline, so be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. God promises that he will not leave us in our imperfection, but he will discipline us. There's also verses in Proverbs 3, verse 12, and Hebrews 12, 5 to 12. And he does this so that we can be transformed to be more like him, reflecting his glory. He will show this imperfect world his love through us as we respond to his loving discipline and change our attitudes and actions to be more like those of Jesus. I really love the way the Bible says that God stands at the door and knocks with his discipline. We get to choose whether or not to open up and let him change us from the inside out. And that is gracious. And it's exactly what, God, what is happening to Jonah as we read this book. God knocks with a storm, a great fish and a leafy vine, all the while asking Jonah to soften his heart and embrace God's own compassion for the lost. Tim Keller says, most of us are like Jonah, we must have multiple exposures to both our need for God's grace, which usually come through experiences of disappointment and failure, and to the gospel message. In other words, it's a long, slow process and often an uncomfortable one, and I'm sure most people can relate to that. But God wouldn't be good if he didn't deal with our sin. We can even see in the passage from Exodus misquoted by Jonah that we read earlier on that God states for himself he does not leave the guilty unpunished, we know that Jesus is the fulfilment of God's punishment of sin. 
taking on himself at the cross the consequence for all our wrongdoing so that we are spared. And this is the message of the gospel and it is at work in us through the Holy Spirit. Paul writes in Romans 8, for what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. God doesn't allow us to remain in our sin, clinging to the practices of our old way of life. In his grace, he lovingly pursues us and uses every circumstance that we encounter to lead us more deeply into relationship with him. He pursues Jonah, causing him to recognize his own idolatry and sin and freeing him to know Yahweh, which is the covenant name of God used by the Israelites, in the Yadar sense, personally, as a friend. To give a personal example, in my recent kelpie attack at Runswick Bay, it's been a massive learning curve. God provided the seaweed that I slipped on in the same way as he provided the fish, the plant and the worm for Jonah. I definitely wouldn't have chosen to break my ankle quite so thoroughly, but I have been given time that I wouldn't normally have to study the Bible and to pursue friendships and get more involved in church activities. It has taken me three months to prepare this talk. Um, So I can see that God is teaching me things through it. It's made me think about how I want to spend my time when I do get back to work, about my priorities and about being less independent. Yeah, less independent. I can see that God is using this circumstance to provide me with an opportunity to adjust my priorities and grow in friendship with him and with others. And I'm sure there's plenty more I'm meant to be learning that I haven't noticed yet. So my next point is all about knowing knowing yourself, knowing myself, freedom to receive God's grace. So the point is that God leads us to know ourselves, to reach heart bedrock, which is what Tim Keller calls it in his book, God loves Jonah and he loves you and me so much that he actively engages with us in our everyday lives. He wants to mould us and shape us to make us more like Jesus so that we can carry his gospel message of salvation to those around us. Because as it says in 2 Peter 3 verse 9, the Lord is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. This speaks of God's compassion, which is a word we see a lot of evidence of in today's scripture from chapter 4. Tim Keller says that the word used in the original writing of chapter 4, in verse 10 and 11, which we, the, in the passage I've quoted is interpreted as concern, it means to grieve over someone or something, to have your heart broken and to weep for it. In stark contrast, Jonah does this for a plant. God does it for the people of Nineveh. God's question to Jonah is, which is more appropriate? Which is worth more, a plant or a city full of lost souls who don't know their right hand from their left? To have your heart broken for someone implies a very strong emotional response. And we know as human beings, such an emotional response is often involuntary. It implies we're connected to or dependent on that person in some way, like with our spouses or family members. Keller says again, this is the language of attachment. When you put your love on someone, you can be happy only if they are happy and their distress becomes your distress. The love of attachment makes you vulnerable to suffering. Jonah feels this for a plant, so much so that he wants to die. However, God, an infinite, omnipotent, self-sufficient, divine being, these are Tim Keller's words, 
loves only voluntarily. He voluntarily attaches his heart to humanity. He doesn't need us, and yet he chooses to set his love upon us to the point that he is willing to sacrifice himself in our place to pay the necessary penalty for our wrongdoing. In his compassion, his heart attachment for Jonah, God provides circumstances which arouse his human compassion in order to redirect it. He shows Jonah how unreasonable his attachment to the plant is in comparison to God's own attachment to the great city of Nineveh in which there are more than 120,000 people. By doing so, God is pointing out the fundamental issues of Jonah's secret heart. Jonah begins to see his own self-righteousness. I'm superior to those pagans. I deserve God's grace. They don't. And his fear. These people are our national enemies. They're responsible for terrible atrocities. Their survival is a threat to Israel. Jonah has to recognise his own sin in order to be changed. And we can assume that he succeeded in doing so because we have this warts and all account which could only have been written by him. How else would we know what went on inside the belly of the fish or outside the city in his private conversations with God? No one else was there. Keller says at the conclusion of his book, The Prodigal Prophet, that what kind of man would let the world see what a fool he was? Only someone who had become joyfully secure in God's love. So Jonah has been transformed by God. We don't see it in the story, but it's implied. He has changed his attitude to pagans and recognised that his own need of God's grace is just as great as anybody else's. And it's only from the place of recognising our own need of God's gracious salvation that we truly seek him and can truly be transformed into compassionate people who will reach out to our imperfect world with the message of the gospel. As has been mentioned before, the way the book of Jonah ends so abruptly, without showing us Jonah's response to God, challenges us to respond to the same questions that Jonah was asked. We need to examine our own hearts and see if there be any wicked way in ourselves. To sum up, I've been provoked by some questions. How well do I know God? Would I describe myself as his friend? Can I talk to him freely? Am I willing to let his grace change me by whatever means he chooses? And who is God calling me to be his messenger to? Let's learn from Jonah's example. Let's be encouraged that even though he seems so entrenched in his wrong thinking to the point where he ran from the explicit word of God, God pursued him and extended his abundant grace for him. Let's examine our own hearts, knowing that God loves us and is committed to us. And let's commit ourselves to following God's direction, knowing that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Let's allow God to use us, his imperfect children, even while we're still a work in progress. Um, I've asked for a song to be played, and while it's playing, there's going to be those four questions up on a slide. Let's use the time to think about our answers to those four questions. And if you'd like prayer for anything, there will be ministry team available to pray for you at the sides. I'd like those two people to share something. So, Sue, where are you? Are you around yet? And Val... Um, If you can just share briefly, if that's okay, because we want to pray and we want to contemplate, if you like, those two things. So Val, can you come first and then Sue? I just feel it ties in with what we're going to do next. Um, In the last two years, I've had two clutches go in my car, and it's not the way I drive, okay? So it's been very testing 
and very inconvenient. You know, your cars are like computers, aren't they? They're fine till they go. Um, but what I felt, it was God has spoken to me through this breakdown of the car. He says that we break down. We go wrong. We aren't always right. But we don't have to go somewhere and stay somewhere for a long time before we're forgiven, before we're put right. We don't have to wait. We just have to talk to God. And it's like Lou said, can you freely talk to God? And when we mess up, we can go and we can talk to God, ask for his forgiveness. We know it's there and we know he'll repair us. Thank you, Lord. Well done, Bao. It's funny because when Luke did his spin, or wherever it was, because I wasn't in, I was out the back. And I said, what happened to Jill when I came in? What happened? Why, why was everyone cheering? And they said, well, Luke did a backflip because he's now a Christian. And it made me think, do you know, I've got all the same equipment that Luke's got. <laughs> well, a bit different, but yeah, I know. But I've got the legs and arms, basically, and a head and all of that stuff. But the thing is, we all have a life and our muscles grow differently. And as Lou will know, we had a conversation this week about muscle. Um, and I've had conversations with people uh, a lot over the last two years while I've been struggling. And what God's shown me as I've started to get better is that we can stay in that bad muscle place so I can still limp just because it's muscle memory, not because there's anything physically wrong anymore. And I think that's what God would like to say to us today, that he has healed us of things. He has said that has gone, but we still walk in it as though we are still there. And the only way, as my physio said, it's a tiny little muscle and you have to really work hard on that muscle. And that's what God's calling us to do. Not great big things, but we've all been given faith. And it's a muscle we use. Some of us have stopped using it. Some of us have stopped using it. We used to do things in God. We used to exercise that muscle. We used to see answers to prayer. We used to see healings. We used to see things. But we stopped using it just as I've stopped using it in my leg not my spiritual muscle, my, in my leg, it dies, and it dies really quickly. And I, I believe that God would say to us this morning, I didn't know what Lou was bringing, but God would say to us this morning, do you know, Luke is a new Christian, but he now has to work out his faith with God and build that spiritual muscle. And we, as we've heard this morning with Jonah, oh, we have to have that compassion. God's doing stuff in us. But the things that seem to be the bad things aren't the bad things because that's when God's with us. That's when he's helping us grow. That's when he's putting us back together. That's when he's starting us out. 
And the thing I've learned about life in my lots of years is that it's still life and you go from one thing to something else. Because God isn't finished with us. And I just believe that as we look at these questions, which are so profound, that God really wants to deal with us where we're at. And those things that he, we have given him before to say, yeah, I, I could say today that my muscle's gone in my hip, so I'm going to walk. I have to consciously tell my head that I can now walk down the stairs properly. Not because it's physical, because it's in my head. And God does that with us. He does things in our heart and puts us right. But in our head, we're still in the wrong place. And it says we transform by the renewing of our mind. Jonah had to be transformed in his heart and in his mind, and so did we. So we're just going to play this song, okay? And the, the questions are going to be up. And I just want you to consider some of the things that Lewis shared or we've just heard being shared. And let's ask God the Holy Spirit to restore us, heal us, help us through things, show us the way, do something in us so that we move to our next step with God, okay? <laughs>